And God, I know there's people here this morning, they're experiencing maybe their first Christmas without a loved one. There's others that are experiencing Christmas maybe without a job, and others are just uh, uh, going through uh, the motions of life, Lord, looking for that ray of hope. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give them that this morning, and you would minister to them and minister to me as well as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, and we want to turn to, well, we want to turn to somewhere in the Bible. Yeah, there it is, Hebrews uh, chapter 1. You know, uh, some of you have been noticing, maybe I've been coughing a little bit here uh, this morning, so I just want you to know that uh, I'm probably going to irritate the devil out of you this morning, but I've been trying to get the devil out of a lot of you for a long time, so (laughs) if irritation is what it takes. but uh, just praise God for you being here. Who would ever thought all that cake pie and candy I was eating would give me a sore throat and a cold? <clears throat> just never know. Hebrews chapter 1 is our text this morning, and we're going to talk about the missing gift of hope. We're closing down a series of messages this morning that we've been looking at on the missing gifts of Christmas. And maybe you remember uh, this little movie clip. Uh, came from one of my wife's favorite movies. Let's show that. People who truly loved once are far more likely to love again. Sam, do you think that there's someone out there you could love as much as your wife? Well, Dr. Marshall Fieldstone, I th- that's hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Well, I'm, I'm going to get out of bed every morning. Breathe in and out all, all day long. And then after a while, I won't have to remind myself to get out of bed in the morning and breathe in and out. And then after a while, I, I won't have to think about how I had it great and perfect for a while. My wife's favorites. Anybody know the name of that movie? Sleepless in Seattle. And uh, he was sitting there on the phone and he was saying, hey, you know, I've really lost lost a lot of my hope in life. When do you lose your hope? You've heard people say before, you know, I'm down, you know, I've I've lost, that was my last chance. I have no hope. That was my last chance at marriage. That was my last chance at a great job, last chance at promotion. When do you really lose hope and how do you gain it back? Because as we're looking at Christmas, we understand that one of the things and promises of Christmas has made and the birth of Jesus was just the fact that we have now hope in Christ. In fact, that's all really throughout the Bible. Let me read to you in Matthew 12. I'm not going to take time to read the whole passage, but the very end of these verses it says, until he brings justice, talking about Jesus, to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. That's us. That's the non-Jewish people. The Gentiles will hope. It's been said We can live 40 days without food, eight days without water, four minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. And so why is hope so vitally important? Listen to me very carefully. We greatly, we cannot, we we cannot underestimate how. Our character and our actions are determined by the future we believe awaits us. You will live differently with hope than you will live without hope. How you see your future from here on out 
will greatly determine the kind of year you're going to have in 2018. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you look at life. It changes your attitude. It develops a character. It, it determines the decisions that you make in life. And so as we open to Hebrews chapter 1, we find as, again, the key word is better. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the prophets of old. He's better than Moses. But there's some other key words in this book as well. One of them is faith and one of them is hope. And they both are intertwined together. We're going to find out here in just a few moments. Now, the reason the book of Hebrews is filled with things about hope and filled with things about faith is because the writer is trying to, to address a Jewish audience at this time that was thinking about going back to Judaism. I mean, not all the way, just part of it. Because the persecution was so bad and getting worse and worse on Christians that many of them felt, because of their families and because of their jobs, that if they could just back off a little bit of their Christian commitment and then go, um, go back to Judaism, at least some of the forms of it, and they're going to be okay. But the writer of Hebrews is telling them, no, you cannot shrink back. You cannot allow things, chapter 2, to slip away from you. And he wants to build faith and hope within their life. Now, we're going to look at this uh, two points this morning, and that's it. Most of you think I cannot preach a message without three, but um, I do have three subpoints. <laughs> no, the problem of hope, the problem of it, and secondly, the path to it. What about the promise, the problem of it? As I said, this book is about faith. It's, it's really about enduring faith. Let me share with you maybe one of the key verses, if not the key verses, the key verses of the book. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great re reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then in chapter 11, we find what we call the hall of faith, all the Old Testament saints and all the, the faithfulness of it all. But in Hebrews chapter 1, or chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It defines, or at least describes faith to us before it goes over the hall of faith. Here's what it says. How, now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Two parts to that. Number one, it's really a confidence of things that are hoped for in the future. Secondly, it's a conviction of things that you cannot see. There's a spiritual world around us. Now, the first part of that has to do with our future, and that's what hope is all about. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is knowing, having confidence that something is going to happen, and you look forward to it in such a way that it changes the way you live today, and of course it will. However you look at your future is going to determine how you live today. And so when we look at the whole definition of hope, it's really the future part of faith. I believe something's going to happen, and therefore I'm acting accordingly, and I have a great faith and confidence in what's going on. Now, why, why do we come to the place of having no hope in our life? Very simple. We come to the place of having no hope when we come to the place of no longer being able to have confidence in the object of our faith and our future. Now, did you hear that? 
I come to the place of no hope in my life. You come to the place of no hope in your life. You, you come to the end of your rope when you come to the place where you say, I, can, I no longer have confidence in the object of my faith. And if we were to be honest with ourselves this morning, we would say often, very often, the object of our faith is not God at all. It's, it's in something else. Now, there is a difference. Let me just say this. There is a difference between hoping that and hoping in. Now, hoping that, you know, I hope, you know, I hope I'm, somebody might say, I hope I'm going to get a bicycle for Christmas, okay? That is far different than saying, if I could only get a bicycle for Christmas, if I can just do that, my life will be complete. And I'm placing all of my confidence in that bicycle in order to bring me fulfillment and happiness I mean, it could be anything. I mean, you know, you're looking at getting something for Christmas like a ring, or you're looking at a bracelet, or you're looking at a new car. Boy, if I could just have that new car. If I could just get that promotion, I, man, God, that would be a great answer to prayer for me. Okay, you're hoping that something happens. But when you're saying, God, I've got to have this job, this promotion, in order to be happy. I've got to have that in order to, to fulfill my life, you're hoping in something. You're placing your confidence in that job. Somebody says, you know, my son is just going down the wrong road. If he could just meet the right girl, you know, if he could just meet the right girl, then he would be okay. You're hoping in that girl that he hasn't even met yet, that you don't even know who she is. Now, how much hope is that? But rather than saying, God, I'm placing my hope in you to straighten my son out. I'm placing my hope, my confidence in you, and how you do it is up to you. I'm not trusting in the bicycle or the girl or whatever. I'm trusting in you. But when you and I place our faith in finite things, we will come to the end of our rope. And it could be our own self. I place my, somebody says, I place my confidence in myself. I believe in myself. You're going to come to the end of your rope somewhere where you're going to get turned down for that promotion, get turned down for that job. You're not going to be able to marry maybe the person that you want to marry. You're going to come to a place in your life where just having confidence in yourself is just simply not enough. And you come to the place in your life at that point where you have a touch of hopelessness in your life. We have hope, according to the Bible, in our salvation. Listen to the, these verses, this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, what is that? Don't, don't we have faith in Christ that we, we are saved, we invited Christ into our life, and therefore we're saved forever. What is this hope stuff? Hope is just simply the future of faith. When the Bible says something like this, what they're saying is, I have a hope of heaven that my salvation is going to be completed one day. Then Titus tells us, the book of Titus, Paul writes this, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says there's another hope, a hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But now, Jeremiah the prophet of the Old Testament tells us that we have hope right now. 
Great verse, one of the most popular verses now in the Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so God, when we place our confidence in him, when he is our God, when he is on the throne of our life, and we have that which is infinite, that which is unchangeable on the throne of our life, we can trust him, and that's going to determine the decisions we make and the confidence that we have in this life and the life to come. So why Jesus? You say, well, you know, I'm not sure I can really put, place my trust in Jesus. And so during this Christmas season, we're called out by the writer of Hebrews to believe in him for all our hope. Look in verse 1. He says, long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, <coughs> whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also created the world. He is the radiance of his glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications of sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. We see three reasons why in this book, in these three verses, three reasons why we need to place our hope in Jesus Christ, the one who was born in the stable, the one who lived his life 33 and a half years here on this earth, the one who died on the cross for us, the one who ascended back up into heaven after his resurrection. That's the one we need to place our hope in. He gives us three reasons. Number one, because of who he is. As we look, but in these last days, verse 2, he has spoken to us by some. He appointed the heir of all things. Have you ever wondered uh, the really logistics behind prayer? I mean, here you are. Or we'll just say, um, I ask God, and I say, God, you know, I need, I need X amount of money, um, uh, funds by the end of the year to pay my bills. That's what I need. So what am I asking God to do? I'm asking God, in a sense, well, I'm not really, but just play along with me. Could you all play along with me? Say, I'm playing along with you. All right, play along with me. So, um, God, what I'm asking you to do is be Robin Hood. I'm asking, because there's only so much money in the world, right? So I'm asking you to take money away from somebody that doesn't need it and give it to me. It belongs to him, but I'm asking you to rob it from him, steal it from him. And give it to me. No, God wouldn't do that. God's not a thief. God's perfect in every way. You see, the Bible tells us no matter whether I have the money in my account, you have the money in your account, or the millionaire has the money in his account, everything belongs to God. Every single thing. And I've shared with you before, and if you are going to have a stress-free life, then you've got to give everything back over to God. You, you just can't simply own it for yourself. And uh, I know a lot of you have, um, uh, you know, people have joked around the burger, about the Burger King story. And it's become kind of an inside joke, all right? Because a lot of people just don't know the story. So I'm going to tell you the story. Can I tell you the story? Yes. All right, now some of you have heard it before. Is it okay? Yes. That's a good thing because I'm going to tell it whether you liked it or not. But um, <laughs> there was a day when the Jacksonville Stadium was being worked on. And Georgia, Florida played a home-and-home -home series for two years. Played in Georgia one year, and then came back and played in Gainesville. Well, the year they played in Gainesville, um, 
myself and three other guys um, went up to the game. One particular guy owned season tickets. He got us the tickets. We're all sitting together. Uh, he was the one making the drive. He, he makes all the games up to Gainesville. And so there we were on our way. Well, um, we didn't take the expressway. We took the back roads. I mean, after all, he knows where he's going, right? And so we stopped at this Burger King. Now, the significant thing to this was I didn't figure out logistically how I was going to be able to get uh, to my revival the next day. I wasn't even preaching here that day. All right? The next day, I was doing Denell in Florida. And uh, preaching a, a revival beginning on Sunday morning. A revival, you know, is, it, it, we hope it's a revival. You know what I'm saying. There's a series of meetings that I start off preaching on Sunday morning and go through Wednesday night. That's kind of how it used to be. So um, I had my suits in the car. I had my Bible in the car. I had my sermons in the car, right? And uh, we park. We meet at this Burger King, park the car, and we go in and eat. Well, then we come out and said, uh, you know, let's just all ride together. I just leave my car here, won't, won't hurt a thing, come back and get it. So we go off, pouring down rain throughout the game. Uh, unlike, well, anyway, we lost, Georgia lost big time that game, you know, back in the day of uh, Danny Werfel, all that great quarterbacking. And so we came back, and on the way back, we, we looked and uh, we turned in. And I said, Where's my car? My car's gone. There we were at the Burger King, right there on, in, in uh, on Ocala. And um, I asked the guy, a guy was coming out of the store, and I said, did you, did you see a little white car out here? And he said, yeah, a little white car. He, he described it. I said, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, it was over there a few minutes ago. I thought, oh, man. Not only is my car gone, I could care less. You know, a little bitty Honda Accord. I think it was a 1958 or something like that, you know. <laughs> I think, well, how much insurance can I get for that? But, um, but I also had my suits, um, the messages, my Bible. So I was going to have to go all the way back and borrow a car. And we were just, we, we called the police. Police came, got the report. And said, you know, are y'all sure you're at the right place? And the guy that was with me that knew, knew the, the stuff, you know, said, he, that, that cop, if he asked me that one more time, what does he think, we're stupid or what? I said, yeah, I think so. And uh, so anyway, we get back in the car after this report. One o'clock in the morning, I call, we call our wives. We call, I call the pastor, and the pastor, I, I mean, I'm about almost six feet tall, and he's about five, six, and he's, you know, in the middle of the night. He said, well, you can borrow some of my suits if you want. <laughs> so I don't think that's going to work out. Um, so anyway, we're headed back, and we're driving down the road, and a guy in the back seat says, hey, look, you can just borrow one of my cars. We, you know, we, we don't need it tomorrow. And I said, man, I really appreciate that. And about that time, the driver of the car says, uh-oh. And we turn around, there's another Burger King <laughs> on the same side of the road. And two miles down the road, we turn in, and there's my car right there. <laughs> and um, I started to get in, but then we had to call the police again, and he, it's the same guy. Wouldn't you know it? It was the same guy. And um, he died laughing. He got on the radio, started calling everybody. They were all, man, they were really having a big laugh on our expense. And so uh, anyway, a um, few, few months later, I told that story to Mike Gilchrist, who's now 
um, with the Lord. He's an evangelist, came here our church, told the story. He says, Dwayne, I tell you something. God taught you a lesson, whether it cost you anything. I thought that was pretty good. Not a lot of embarrassment, but it didn't cost me anything financially to learn that, yeah, everything that I have really does belong to God, including the Bible, including the suits, everything. See, until we come to that place, we have no basis of prayer. He is the heir of all things. So you're wanting something. Why would we want to place our hope in that thing that we want when we can place our hope in the one that can give it to us? He's the heir of all things. He says also another reason. He says the radiance of his glory. Who is he? The radiance of his glory. It says says he's the glory, the presence, the splendor, the grandeur. It says John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. The only begotten, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Why? Because it says here, he is the exact imprint of his nature. That means exact representation, like an icon. He's exact representation. John 1.1, the, the apostle John says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of his only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the one who has revealed him. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Remember what Matthew 123, when uh, the um, angel came to Joseph and said to him, his name will be called Emmanuel, that's a title. God with us. It's God with us. One man has said it this way. Someone has said that Jesus Christ came from the bosom of the Father to the bosom of a woman. He, was, he put on humanity that, that we might put on divinity. He became the Son of Man that we become the sons of God. He was born contrary to the laws of nature, lived in poverty, was reared in obscurity, and only once crossed the boundary of the land in which he was born. And that in his childhood, he had no wealth or influence and neither training nor education in the world's schools. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he started uh, as a, uh, in boyhood, he he puzzled uh, the learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the billows and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the world could not hold the books about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters together. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together cannot boast as of many students as he has. He never practiced medicine. And yet he healed more broken hearts than all the doctors have healed broken bones. Jesus Christ is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and the lamb of zoology, the harmonizer of the discords, and the healer of diseases. Throughout history, great men have come and gone, and yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. Death could not destroy him. And the grave could not hold him. Jesus Christ is the one, dear friends, we can trust because of who he is. We can trust in chariots and horses, as Proverbs 20 says. But when we do that, when we trust in the things that man has made, 
We don't even trust in the things that God has made. We trust in something finite. We trust in something temporary, and temporary things always change. Always. They die, and they disappoint. But no, notice, not only because of who he is, but also because of what he did. Verse 1, it says, long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is in the radiance of the glory of the Father, the exact imprint. But notice what it says at the end. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does it say here? It says he created everything. And so when we place our trust and our hope in Christ, we place our faith in the one who created. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The one who created is the object of our trust. He's a sustainer. It says in verse 3, he upholds everything. He upholds everything. Colossians 1.17, and he before all things, and in him all things hold together. And finally, he's our Savior, the purification of sins. The major theme of Hebrews and the major theme of the Bible is that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. But God shows us his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The plan of salvation is very simple. The Bible says because Adam and Eve sinned against God and we inherited that sin nature, the Bible tells us that we're lost without hope, in, without Christ. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. And because he died on the cross for our sins, the Bible says we'd have to do nothing <coughs> in order to be saved. We just simply receive the free gift of which he's given to us. How can we know how can we trust God with our futures? Because he paid for it. He paid for your future. And so we see we trust Christ because of who he is, because of what he did. He proved it. You say, well, you know, God hadn't been good to me. God died for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. And if that wasn't enough, 33 and a half years of living as a homeless guy, basically, here on this earth for you, he's done lots. But then, also because of what he has said. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke. God's been speaking all along, but now he has spoken to us through his son. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ loves us. As I shared with you in times past, the only way we know that Jesus Christ loves us is because of what the Bible teaches us. People say, well, I don't believe this part about the Bible and this part about the Bible. Did you know there's no other documents in antiquity that picture a God as being a loving God except the Bible? Are we just going to accept the parts that we want to accept? Or you say, well, I don't even believe the Bible at all. I just believe God's a God of love. You, you have no basis for believing that at all except for what the Bible teaches us and what life teaches us. None at all. 
God has spoken to us through his son. And because of that, you and I can have the hope that's within us. Listen to these. This is great. These are great verses. I didn't come up with them. But you say, man, life's impossible. And yet Luke tells us all things are possible through Christ. You say, I'm too tired. And yet the Bible in Matthew says, I'll give you rest. Somebody says, well, nobody loves me. Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You say, I can't do it. Yet Philippians 4.13 says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You say, I'm not able. But God says in 1 Corinthians, I am able. You say, it's not worth it. But yet the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You say, I I can't forgive myself. But 1 John 1.9 tells us that God forgives us. You say, I can't manage life. And the Bible tells us in Philippians that I will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus according to the scriptures. You say, I'm I'm not, I'm I'm, at wit's end. I just can't go on. Yet the Bible says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. And you say, I just feel so alone. Yet Hebrews tells us, I will never leave you or forsake you. The promises of the Bible are true, but our object of our faith and our hope must be in Christ. Let me share with you, as I close, um, a couple of verses. It's also in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 6 and verse 17. It says, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, impossible for him to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this hope, sure and steadfast, like an anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now, during this series, we've said that in the, in the Jewish temple and the tabernacle, There was an outer court where the Gentiles could go. Then there was a holy place that only the priests could go. Finally, there was that holy of holies where the priests could only go behind that veil. Now, if you don't remember, recall the veil. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says the veil in the temple was torn in half. That was a symbol of the separation that you and I have experienced with God all these centuries. All of a sudden, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, was torn. And now we have access to God. The writer of Hebrews gives this picture. When you have a ship, you have an anchor. And an anchor is is bolted down to the ship. And then the hook of part of the anchor is thrown into the ocean. And during the storms of life, during the most difficult times that that ship will be going through, it is anchored to something that is solid. The picture that the writer of Hebrews gives is that when you and I receive Jesus Christ, this is our hope. The anchor is tied to us. And then the hook of the anchor is thrown behind the veil of the temple and is hooked into the very throne of God, to the very mercy seat of Christ, that you and I could have that sure and steadfast hope because we're anchored to God himself. Now, many of you, perhaps some of you, like the gentleman in that movie Sleepless in Seattle, 
and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I've just kind of lost hope. Ask yourself the question, what have you been hoping in? Now, there's, there's, there's great that you hope that something happens. There's nothing wrong with that at all. You might hope a thousand things happen, but what are you placing your hope in? Is it a person? Is it a job? Is it a ministry? Or is it Christ himself? The one that is infinite. The one that is permanent. The one that says, I will never change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Where's your hope today? Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.